<laughs> have you ever had a near-death experience? Anybody? There's a lot of people have a near-death experience. We have a very, very dear friend of ours who just got in a really bad motorcycle accident. But praise the Lord, he's doing okay. He's out of the hospital. He's recovering. So we thank God for Edgar and the Lord's healing on him. Um, anyone else? Raise your hand again. Who had a near-death experience in your life? It changes you, doesn't it? You'll never be the same after that. I remember when I was in college, uh, Brian Bassini and I, we went shooting with some international students. <laughs> and uh, inter uh, these international students from China had never, ever shot guns before. And you know when you come to Texas, you just have to shoot guns. Right? Anyone with me? You just got to go shoot stuff, preferably things that aren't alive. Uh, but we, were, we went to go shoot, do some target practice, and, and give our good new friends uh, a good time. And, uh, well, these guys never been around guns before, and so when mosquitoes would go by or wasps, someone would fly by, they would use the gun to try to swat the wasp or the mosquito. And I'm telling you the truth, I, you know when it happens in slow motion and the gun is just waving right towards my face, and I, for a brief moment I can see the bullet inside the barrel of the gun and we decided we are not doing this again. Near-death experience. We had a friend also in college. We had a lot of mishaps with guns. Um, we should probably have learned our lesson. Right, Brian, maybe? I don't know. Nah. Uh, but our buddy, uh, we weren't in the room at, the, at this time, but we had a friend who there was actually a terrible thing that happened. There was an accidental discharge of a round out of his pistol when he was trying to clean it. And it actually hit our friend who was sitting on the couch, actually a small group leader at the time. I don't know if it was a small group guy who shot him. It was totally on accident. It was not on purpose. So we don't condone violence towards uh, small group leaders in the house, right? Are we all clear on that? All right, we're clear on that. And small group leaders are like, amen, right? Well, our friend got hit with this bullet, and he was sitting with his hands like this and just with his elbows on his knees, and the bullet passed through his hands and his fingers and went through his thumb and through his left bicep. And he almost broke the record of the Guinness Book of World Records of how many puncture wounds through with one bullet. He, he was. He did break the record, but they didn't count because it was on purpose. Ah oh, man! So what we what we said was what we said was sorry, bro. Better luck next time. Near-death experiences are no joke. In Isaiah chapter 6, that's where we're going to hang out today. If you have your Bibles, open them to Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to talk about a very fun, well, fun, but amusing, but interesting, but most importantly, very educational, near-death experience from one of the major prophets of the Old Testament. Isaiah is a prophet of God, but he also is, like all of us, he's a flawed man. And Isaiah has this vision in Isaiah chapter 6 where he sees the throne of God. And in verse 6 is where we're going to start, and we will read this together. Let's go, Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted. This is Isaiah speaking about his vision. Seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. 
With two wings they covered their faces, and with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. We call that Holy Spirit fog machine. Verse 5, Isaiah says, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. Verse 7, with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Lord, we ask you to speak to us, Holy Spirit. Jesus, I ask that you would help me completely get out of the way and allow your word your perfect, precious, holy words that we read off this page will penetrate our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. 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 Isaiah has a near-death experience, not because his parachute failed to open properly, not because he crashed his motorcycle, not because his good friend from UTRGV accidentally shot him. He has a near-death experience because he encountered the one true God. He encountered him face to face. There are many occasions in the Bible where we read how people encounter God are utterly overwhelmed by his presence. In places it says, for example, the angel at the tomb, when Jesus' tomb is rolled away, the guards saw the angel and fell over like dead men. Basically, they fainted, right? You have the guards that are traveling next to the Apostle Paul on his journey, and he's knocked off his horse, and the people that are with him fell over as though they were dead because the intensity of the presence of the glory of God. You also have... The, the amazing story of Moses in the Old Testament where he says a prayer to God. He says, Lord, let me see your face. Now, maybe you're like me and your mother raised you telling you this, saying, son, daughter, there's no such thing as stupid prayers. Anyone other parent teach them that? My mother taught me that, and I think that applies very good for children. But when you become an adult, it's actually good to know that there is such thing as stupid prayers. Moses learned this lesson because he asked God to reveal himself, show me your face, O Lord. And God had to gently correct him and say, Moses, Moses, no one can look upon my face and live. And you have to picture Moses there going, oh, shoot, oh, I'm an idiot, I'm so stupid, please take that prayer away, <laughs> right? Basically, what I'm saying is that there are prayers you shouldn't pray if you know in your heart you're not ready for him to answer that prayer. As Winky Prattney says wonderfully, if you pray for rain, you better bring an umbrella, 
Don't be unprepared yeah. if you ask the King of Kings to deliver. Isaiah is experiencing this. Now, what's Isaiah's role? He is a prophet of God. Prophets of God in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel, they are acting as God's voice for the nation to turn the nation of Israel away from their sin. Now, this is a big deal for the nation to try, Lord, trying to get the nation of Israel to turn away from their sin. Because as we read through the Old Testament, if you read from Genesis all the way to Malachi, it'll blow your mind how many times, oh my goodness, Israel keeps turning away from God. And then he, res he rescues them. And from slavery, he rescues them with these miraculous things. And then they keep turning away. And it's almost annoying when you read the Old Testament. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Like, Israel, why can't you just get it? And then the Holy Spirit humbles you and says, hey, hey, that's the same as you and me. That's, that's the same as you. We keep turning our hearts away from God, and he keeps having to turn our hearts back towards him. The Old Testament, the prophets that God calls, are risen up to turn Israel away from their sin. Now, what is sin? Sin is a violation of God's law. But if it helps you to understand a little bit better... Sin is a violation of purpose. When you sin, you are violating your purpose. You see, God has a high and lofty, wonderful purpose for your life. And when you and I sin, we sin against that purpose. We deny the great calling and purpose God has on our life. Sin doesn't just hurt the person that you may have sinned against, sin always hurts you as well. In other words, there is never an occasion where sin is victimless. It always hurts. Some people say, well, I'm just living my own life. I'm not hurting anyone else. It's never true. Sin always has collateral damage that it does. Another thing to remember very carefully is this, that when you break a law... You must remember with God, you never merely break a law. You also break a heart. Because God's laws are rooted in his character and his nature. And when you break a law, you break his heart. In Genesis chapter 3, it says that the sin and wickedness of man was so terrible, so awful, so overwhelming that it grieved the Lord. It hurt him. They said that every thought and action of every man and woman on the earth was only wicked all the time. That means you never ever saw anything like a next door neighbor going to meet the other person and bringing cupcakes. You'd never see that. In Genesis chapter 3, and it said it grieved the Lord, that, and he repented, regretted that he made man. What am I saying tonight, guys? I'm saying that sin hurts God's heart. It hurts him, and it affects relationship between you and him. To get right with God, there is a pathway that everyone must travel and this is the amazing pathway that we see right here in this passage in Isaiah chapter 6. There is a pathway that this prophet is traveling down. And in order to understand what it's like to be what Christians call being born again, what we call what it means to get saved or to be saved, we are talking about an encounter with God that is much like a near-death experience. Have you ever had an encounter with God 
that had that kind of effect on you. Let's see what Isaiah is going through. The first thing that he goes through is that he's ruined. Last week, we talked about basically the what of the gospel. What is the gospel? It's Jesus exalted on the cross, high and lifted up. Remember that from last week? Today, what we're going to talk about is the why. We're going to go into a little bit of why is the gospel. Why did Jesus do that? Why is this the way that it is? And I really want to encourage you to not miss next week because next week we're going to talk about how. How the gospel affects you and me and how we can surrender to the loveliness and beauty of Jesus. So today we're going to talk about the why. Next week we're going to talk about the how. Woe is me, Isaiah says. Woe to me, I am ruined. The thing about being in grave danger is it really teaches you to respect the thing that could kill you. There are stories of people that have encountered grizzly bears in the wilderness. And these animals are no joke. These animals are so strong, they can tear you to pieces and they'll do it with a smile. They won't even break a sweat. They're going to forget about you five minutes later because they're going to be devouring something else because you were too boring of a fight. That's how scary these things are. In fact, I have a friend where I heard a story where he actually was in Canada and he was in the wilderness. He saw a grizzly bear and he fainted. And it was an absolute miracle because the bear covered him up with leaves because the bear was going to come back and eat him later, but he left him alone, and my friend woke up from being unconscious and survived. You want to talk about, Jesus loved me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. <laughs> That's going to get you saved so fast, right? Isaiah is standing in front in the presence of Almighty God, and he is not having a casual experience. He's not sitting there looking at almighty, all-powerful God that spoke the universe with a word. He did not sit there and go, eh, that's not bad. He looks at him and he says, woe to me, I'm ruined. Other translation says, I'm undone. I'm done for. I'm doomed. There's no more me anymore. I have encountered the Most High God. I am scum. I am a worm. I am nothing compared to this holy God. And we learn a lesson here. And that's that exposure to the throne of God shows you a peace of the Lord that you'll never forget when you're ex exposed to that throne. The light of Christ shining on your life is that light that reveals all the ugliness and darkness in your heart. That's what the light of Jesus is. That's the light of God. That's His holiness. The angels that are surrounding God at the throne room, this is like the throne room. This isn't a sub-level. This is not like Thanos, you know, on a lower level down. This is the creator of the universe, and the angels around him are proclaiming on repeat, on blast. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. That God showed himself to Isaiah, and he was undone. He was totally ruined. This light that shines on you 
What we're talking about, when, you, when the beauty and the revelation of Christ is revealed to you, that light shines on you and it shows everything that's dark that's inside of you. That's what we mean by getting ruined. What is the thing in your life that ruins you? Has God ever ruined you before? Have you ever entered into his presence and felt completely undone? Have you ever seen the loveliness of Jesus being revealed to you and ever realized, I am nothing compared to this holy man? That is being undone. Now, in order to get here, some very important decision has to be made. And that decision is this. You have to decide and you have to know this, that God is innocent of all charges. God is completely and perfectly innocent. All bad doctrine, all terrible ideas about God always come from the assumption that God is not good. He is innocent of all charges. Now this is what people, this is how people lie to themselves. They say, I can't believe in God because all the bad things that happen to innocent people. That's the problem of suffering, the problem of pain. It's a very common conversation that we have here on campus at Booth and in Chi Alpha. We have this conversation all the time in small group. But people say this. This is the wrestle that in their hearts that people go through. I can't believe God because all the innocent people that suffer, which really what they're saying is, if I were God, I would do things quite differently. You see, it's kind of like that person who said, Jesus, take yourself off that cross. If you're, if you're God, if you're, if you're actually the Lord, then use your powers. Take yourself off that cross. Why do they say that? Well, because if I were God, that's exactly what I would do because that would be my plan. But you see, your plan is not God's plan. And I'll even go even further. Your plan is worse than God's plan. God's plan actually is better. Even when it might seem like something is off, what the Holy Spirit invites you to do is ask questions and investigate. Chi Alpha RGV, know this. God is not afraid of your questions. You're not going to scare him away. I was raised a church kid. I was raised a Christian. But there was a critical moment in my life where I realized, you know what? I only believe in Jesus because my parents told me to. And I didn't like that. It kind of bothered me. And, and now my parents were great because, I mean, actually I didn't tell them I was nervous. I didn't tell them I was having these doubts. But what I, start, what I did is I brought it to the Lord. And I said, Lord, I want to find out who you are just for me. I want to investigate who you are, not just because my parents told me to believe in you. So what I did is I got my Bible, I opened it up, and I began in the book of Matthew. That is an excellent book to begin reading if you've never read the Bible. Start in Matthew, go all the way to the end, and then start in Genesis and read all the way again. It's, that, that's an excellent way to begin if you've never gotten in the Bible. So I knew a lot about the Bible, but I never read it for myself. And so what I did, I opened up the book of Matthew, I started reading, and I started praying this, Lord, if I read something weird about you, I don't know if I'm going to be able to believe in you. Lord, if I read something that's off, like basically, if my parents taught me something, but your word says something different, I'm going to know that I've been lied to. 
So Lord, I am honestly seeking you out. Reveal yourself to me. And I started reading. I didn't even make it to Matthew chapter 6 before I was in tears. That's how quick the Holy Spirit spoke to me. That's how quick he made himself real to me. And most people say, I, I want God just to write his name in the clouds for me. But what they're really saying actually is, you know what? I would rather the blindfold stay on my face because I would prefer a world where I don't have to answer to God. That, my friends, is a trap. That's a trap. The problem with that ideology, the problem with that thinking of all these innocent people are suffering, therefore there must be no God. The problem with that is if you hate God because you think he misuses his infinite power, well, pretending he isn't real doesn't magically solve the problem of suffering. You haven't removed the issue. You've just kind of changed your allegiance to God and moved it into allegiance to something else, maybe even yourself. It doesn't solve the problem of suffering. It just kind of kicks the can down the road. And you just say, no, I just want, don't want to believe this way. So you know nothing to disprove God. This begs the question, if God isn't here to save us from our hell that we've created, who should his alternate be? Who should we replace God with? Sam Harris? Joe Rogan? Tucker Carlson? Gandhi? You? Replacing God with a false God doesn't help. And it doesn't solve suffering. Hold the thought on suffering. We'll go there later. What Isaiah is realizing here, guys, he's saying, woe is me, I am undone. You know what being ruined actually means? It is understanding and realizing, God, I'm the problem, not you. That's what being ruined is like. Don't miss this, Kaiapha. It's the realization that when you see how good God is, that's that revelation. Oh, God, you are holy, and I'm wicked. You're not the problem. I'm the problem. I'm the problem. I'm the selfish one. I'm the one who lies. I'm the one who cheats. I'm the one who steals. That's not you. It's me. That's what it means to be undone. It's the revelation. I'm the problem. Let me ask you, have you ever had that moment in your life where you encountered God so vividly where you realized, oh my God, I'm the problem. The problem is me. In order to be friends with Jesus, you have to first be ruined. You have to be torn apart so that you can move to step two, which is to be redeemed. E. Stanley Jones, a magnificent missionary to India, one of my absolute favorite authors of all time. He was ministering to Hindus, and a Hindu came up to E. Stanley Jones and says, Dr. Jones, what does Christianity have that Hinduism does not? And E. Stanley Jones, if you've read any of his books, he, this is almost classic how he always responds this way. He says, that's very simple. Hinduism doesn't have a Christ. Plain and simple. And you could say that about any worldview. What's the problem with any worldview out there? Well, the problem is any worldview besides Christ is a Christless worldview. And the only worldview that can save you from sin, to save you from yourself, is Christ and Christ alone. 
it's only Christ that we can be actually redeemed. See, Isaiah experienced the throne of God which ruined him. The light that shined all the darkness that was in his heart. But then this magnificent thing happens to Isaiah because the moment the throne of God is revealed, at the very same moment, the altar of Jesus is also revealed. It happens in perfect timing simultaneously. It, the, the seraphim takes the altar, the burning coal off the altar, which is a symbol of God saying, I will provide the sacrifice that makes you clean. I will provide that sacrifice. That's the vision that Isaiah is having, which completely ties into who Jesus is, what he's done, and how he was the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. His, the angel says his iniquity was taken away, his sin was purged. God is saying, I will provide the sacrifice. You see, guys, when you experience the throne, when you're ruined, and the light of God shines and exposes the darkness in you, at the same time, what you need in that moment is a Savior. And that Savior can only be the infinite, perfect Jesus, Son of God. Because He's the only sinless person who has ever lived on this earth. These perfect, sinless Lamb of God. Now, here's the beauty of the altar. There's never a throne without the altar. And there's never an altar which redeems you, which, see, what the altar does when you encounter Jesus, when you encounter the cross, well, we in Christianity say that you're washed in the blood of the Lamb. That is the thing that cleanses you of your sin. It's faith in believing that Jesus is the Son of God, and He died and was risen again. That's being redeemed. But don't miss this. It's always you're ruined first. And the second thing that immediately happens is that when you embrace and accept the cross of Christ, that he is the person he said he was, all of that darkness that the light is exposing at that very same time will blast that darkness away. And he will obliterate your sin as though it never was. Yeah. That is what Jesus has accomplished for you and for me. That same light from the throne, the altar of Jesus comes in and that sacrifice, that atoning blood that was shed for you and for me is the thing that cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Now here's the problem, guys. It's step two, this number two right here, when you're redeemed, this is where a lot of people get stuck. You see, if Christ is your redeemer, your sins have been forgiven. Let me ask you tonight, do you believe that? Do you believe that your sins have been forgiven? I'm speaking to the people in this room, or you, you know you've had that moment where you've been ruined, where you've been undone. And those people in this room that know that Jesus has touched your life, and you've began to walk with him. But this is where a lot of people get stuck. Because we want to embrace and accept what Jesus did, but we don't believe fully that his blood has atoned all of your sin. See, many people still continue to punish themselves. They say, I don't deserve this, or I don't deserve that. See, it's something, the problem with saying I don't deserve this I mean, it's factually true that we were, when we sin against God, we don't deserve His grace. That's true. But the problem with the sentence, I don't deserve this, is the word I. You're still talking about yourself. 
And that's the problem. Is that it shouldn't be about us. It's about Him. It's about Jesus. It's not about us. We say, Lord, you deserve all the glory. It's all about you. And so when our, so this is the, that beautiful quote by Andrew Murray when he says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It just means yourself is not on your mind that much. God is on your mind. Other people are on your mind. I'm, I'm getting... Child, I'm getting at question here to say it again. So I'll say it again. Humil this is Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Yeah. Yeah. Get your mind off yourself and get your mind on God. That's how you get unstuck. Yeah. You see, if you're stuck at step two and you can't get out and you're just like, I just don't feel like I'm redeemed. We, we believe these three, four actually major lies of the devil. One of the major lies of the devil is I'm unusable. You ever thought that before? God, I'm just unusable. I'm, I'm all used up. Sir, you can't use someone like me. Another lie that we tell ourselves is, God, I'm unlovable. I'm unlovable. You can't, I, how could you, a, a great holy God, love a person as awful like me? We say these things, I'm, Lord, I'm unforgivable. No, you don't understand, small group leader. No, you don't understand, pastor at my church. No, you don't understand, so-and-so. I've done awful things. I don't deserve this. I, I have surpassed the ability to be restored. Here's the problem with that sentimentality. Is that, that's, first of all, it's a lie of the devil. But again, it's not about you and it's not about me. Saying I'm unforgivable is you're trying to attack yourself because you, there's this self-loathing going on. There's trying to... You're trying to kind of conquer yourself more because it's almost like you're kind of saying God didn't conquer you enough. So you kind of have to help God and conquer yourself even more and lower yourself down. But follow me here. By saying I'm unforgivable, that's not you're trying to attack yourself. But what you're actually doing is you're attacking God. You're attacking his ability to forgive. You're attacking his ability to love. You're attacking his ability to bless. Are you following me tonight, Chi Alpha? You can't believe that lie because it's an insult to God. His sacrifice was enough. Is enough. His love he showed to you is enough. We say this phrase, oh, what a sinner I am. But there must be a comma at the end of that sentence. And you say also this, but oh, what a savior he is. Yeah. What a sinner I am, but oh Lord, what a savior he is. I want to tell you tonight, if you have been carrying that baggage on your shoulders, I'm unlovable, I'm unforgivable, I'm unblessable. I'm here to tell you that's a lie of the devil and that you need to get unstuck by believing what Jesus has done. You need to believe. You need to believe what Christ did was enough. You see, it's not, a, it's not so much a behavior problem, it's a belief problem. The Apostle Paul's not instructing us to behave differently as much as he is saying is think differently. You need to believe different. Believe that what he did was enough. You see, after you are redeemed, 
then you can move on to step number three, and that's the best step. After you've been ruined, after you've been redeemed, this is the beautiful place that you have to reach, and that is the result. You become a, a follower of Jesus who walks in obedience to his command. You are, you have, God has achieved the result out of your life. What does that look like? Isaiah, after he's ruined, he then is redeemed by the angel and the altar and the sacrifice that God had made. You see, hear me out. Isaiah didn't save himself. We don't save ourselves. Isaiah didn't build the altar and then put the thing on and then apply it to himself. Absolutely not. He was helpless. He was doomed. He, he needed a savior. And then God provided that sacrifice and that redemption for him. He had to say, yes, I, I accept it. I believe it. Yes. So there's like the repentance and then there's the yes that comes after. Yes, Lord. I'm believing it. I'm believing what Jesus did was enough. And that third thing he says, God asks a magnificent question. He says, who will go for us? You see, I don't know how well you know God, but God is a God who's on a mission. God has a plan. And God is on the move. His mission is to reach every person on this planet that does not know him. That is his purpose. That is his plan. And the beautiful thing about God is that when he saves you, he doesn't put a collar around your neck and lead you around like an animal. When he saves you, he makes you a son and a daughter. That's who you are to him. Why did Jesus go through all the pain and torture of suffering and dying on the cross? Because you're his daughter. You're his son. And he loves you. Has anyone ever told you that before? Before you even take your first breath when you're born, God loves you. He loves you. That beautiful sentence, who will go for us? God is saying, not only am I interested in saving you, but I'm actually interested in using you for a great purpose, using you for a great work. I, I want to put you to work so you're not just sitting there doing nothing the rest of your life. I, I don't know if you know, if, if you have a really lazy day, anyone understand what I'm talking about? When you just veg out, you're like, whoa, I Netflix for five hours today. Woo! And you feel absolutely awful about it? Yeah. Well, you should feel awful. <laughs> but the beauty of the gospel of Jesus is that he wants to put you to work, and that is when you start having fun. Yeah. Right, small group leaders? Yeah. That's when things get good. When you put your hands to the plow, when you start plowing hard hearts, when you start building small group, when you start making disciples, when you start actually giving God the results out of your life. See, that's what we want to be in Chi Alpha. We don't want to just to be believers of Jesus. We want to be followers of Christ. We want to be obedient to His call. We, we actually want to be laborers in His field. We want to make disciples. We make disciples. We don't want to just sit around and... and Sing a couple songs and then never be the, and never change ever again. We want to grow. So what happens? Isaiah says these wonderful words. He says, "Here I am. Send me." The result of being totally ruined by the throne 
and being totally redeemed by the altar brings you to the result that God can get out of your life. There's nothing worse than sitting on the sidelines. I want to be used by God. God wants to put you in the game, Chi Alpha, but He can't until He can trust you. You see, if you're stuck at step two and you don't actually believe God, He can't use you. He would be unwise to use you because you, then you start tearing people away from belief because you're still fake. You're still pretending to believe when you don't. You see, what God is looking for is trustworthiness, and he's not a fool. He won't give out authority in an unwise way. What we say in Chi Alpha is this, is that what God has done in your life, he wants to do through you. That's right. What God has done in you, he wants to do through you. The things you have endured, the sufferings that you have gone through, those you, those are, are sufferings and plagues on your life, and you're just like, I just wish this thing was gone. I wish this thing was over. This is, this is so awful and terrible. I, God, why don't you just take this away? What you're not realizing is that God wants to use that for his kingdom. He actually wants to turn it into a weapon that you can kick the devil in the teeth with. The, God has, remember how God reverse engineers symbols? Remember that from last week? Well, he will also re reverse engineer your suffering. And he will turn it into the thing wow. that you use to reach people. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. He'll transform your life and, and your pain will be, will be transformed into a medal on your chest that you get to give to God. Because what God has done in you, he wants to do through you. Because we have been redeemed, we gave wholehearted consecration to the service of God. My friends, have you reached a place where you've told God those words, here I am, God, send me. Have you reached that place in your life where you've been ruined and redeemed and you've, you've said, okay, now that I believe that what Jesus has done, you can stand up on your own two feet and say, Lord, I'm ready to be used for your kingdom. Put me to work. Put me in, coach. Right? I don't want to sit on the sidelines. When we hear those words, here I am, send me, in the scriptures, this is where Chi Alpha gets this phrase from. This is what we say, God takes volunteers. This is what we mean. God takes volunteers. Do you notice that there was no major stipulations going on? That God was searching, is there anyone out there? He's looking. There's other Old Testament verses where God says, I searched, my, I spread my eyes across the earth to and fro to see, is there anyone who will stand in the gap for me? But behold, I found none. God is a God who takes volunteers. You know what that means? Wherever you are in your life right now, if you feel like you're unusable, if you feel like you are not able to perform for Jesus well enough. If you feel you're not able to actually work for him, for his glory, the beauty of God is that he takes volunteers. He doesn't, he doesn't care about your ability as much as he cares about your willingness. He just needs anyone to say, I'll go. Lord, use me. 
He'll make you better at the thing you need to get better at. Don't worry about that. Doesn't matter. The thing that's difficult is getting through our hearts. Let's stand tonight. I'm going to close with this. Why, Chi Alpha, why is it even possible for you to join in God's kingdom and fight for His glory? Well, we, when we encounter God, it's kind of like having a near-death experience. You're ruined. You're torn apart. You're like, Lord, I'm, I'm nothing. And then he starts to build you back up again. But did you know, Jesus did not have a near-death experience. Jesus completed his death experience to the end. Jesus didn't have a close call. He wasn't granted mercy. He wasn't given a free pass. Jesus endured his death to the very end. You and I are the ones who get the pass. You and I are the ones that get the mercy. Why, guys? Because Jesus on the cross accomplishes the ultimate sacrifice that you, all you must do is look up and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I repent of my sins. And you say, Lord, I believe. And then you walk in him. And he, you will become the result that God has made you to be. Jesus accomplished his death. And three days later, he was risen again. Why? Why did Jesus do this thing? One, because God loves you. But secondly, God's on a mission. And he needs more workers. Are you willing? Are you willing, Chi Alpha? Where are you today? Have you ever experienced being ruined? Have you ever had that moment where you've encountered God and you've been totally blown away? If you haven't, I want to encourage you tonight that there's no greater time. If God is speaking to your heart, Let's just, I want to be bold tonight. I want to challenge us. Can we do this? Let's, let's be bold. Let's be really real. Let's, we can go and get the lights, Isaac. If you would honestly say, Daniel, I need to be ruined. I need to, be, I need to have a revelation of the glory of God because I need to be reminded of how holy he is. Sometimes we need to be re-ruined. <laughs> I'll be honest. When I get up in the mornings and spend time in prayer, usually the first prayer I'm praying is asking the Lord to ruin me again. Now, don't read into that. I'm not saying you got to get saved every single day. And that every time you sin, you lose your salvation. No, I'm not saying that. But if you're here and you're going, Daniel, that's me. I need to be ruined can you be brave right now and say, Daniel, that's me. Lift up your hand. I need to be ruined. I, I need, I need to, a revelation of the holiness of God. Okay, I see your hands. 
we're going to have a moment in a minute just to, to pray over that, that the holiness of God would absolutely destroy you in a beautiful, loving way. Remember, guys, that the Lord Jesus knows how, God knows how to rebuke you in such a way that it doesn't destroy you. He, he knows exactly how to place his finger on the thing that needs to change. Allow him to do that. Guys, what I'm saying is allow yourself to admit that you're wrong. Some of you might ask, Daniel, how do I get ruined? Start with that one sentence. Lord, you're not the problem. I'm the problem. I would begin there. And the Lord will start working on your heart. Others in this room, you might be stuck in step two. You might be redeemed. You might know that Jesus died for your sins. And you might know, absolutely know, and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he's died on the cross and he rose from again, but you're sitting here and you're thinking, I, I just felt like I've never been able to be used by God. Daniel, I feel like I've, I'm still getting in the way and I need, to, I need to actually believe. I need to get unstuck. I need to believe what Jesus has done. If that's you and you're stuck at step two and you want to move on, would you raise your hand tonight? I'm seeing some hands. That's step two. If you're stuck and I, Daniel, I just need to break out of step two. I need to get out of this and move on. Amen. Amen. I see your hands. Our prayer for tonight, guys, is that the loveliness of Jesus would overwhelm you and at the same time restore you. That's the beauty of the loveliness of Jesus. And this is what we want to do. Uh, if we're going a little bit long, please understand, feel no condemnation if you have to leave early. It's totally fine. We're a family. People come and go. But I want to spend five, ten minutes. And if we can break out in small groups, and let's just spend some time in prayer. Can we do that?